Hello everyone, welcome to Small Biz Tips. Guys, I am excited. I met this guy on LinkedIn, right? And I saw some of his stuff. I saw his profile. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool what he's doing. I would love to have him on here. And I reached out and guess what? He said yes. <laughs> Greg, what's going on, man? <laughs> Not much, how are you? Thanks for I having me on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm fantastic. I'm excited to have you. Uh, before we jump into all those amazing things you're doing in your space, what I like for the people to know is who is Greg? Uh, well, I think relevant to what you're asking, um, I've been in uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce almost 20 years now. I was mm. actually a practicing attorney in Chicago before then for about eight years um, and started with my wife, a company called Tybar which is one of the very first direct-to-consumer men's fashion businesses that uh, we founded in 2004. Um, so I've been sort of like the George Washington of e-commerce uh, <laughs> at the beginning. Um, we grew that company over a period of nine years to about 20 million uh, in our final year, sold it to private equity. Uh, okay. After that, I took a little bit of a break, um, got involved in an incubator down here for new startups. Mm -hmm. And- uh, co-founded a new betting company that's uh, directed, or I should say designed for men. Um, that company is Threat Experiment. We founded that in 2015, still going strong. And in 2019, uh, after my five-year non-compete ended with uh, the sale of the Thai bar, I acquired uh, a small company in Vermont um, that also is in the neckwear space. Uh, their owners were looking to get out and I jumped right back in. So um, <laughs> that's currently what I do. Uh, the other thing, I guess, is I teach entrepreneurship at mm. Atlantic University to juniors and seniors in the College of Business. Wow. Wow. So you just gave us like 20 plus years in less than five seconds. I love it. Um, I want to go back, right? You were an attorney? Yeah, I was an attorney. <laughs> eight, eight crappy years. <laughs> what were you practicing? Like what kind of law? So I, I did mostly business litigation, commercial litigation. And so I represented a lot of businesses. Some were a lot of small, medium-sized businesses. Um, so I was around a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think that really is where I found my inspiration and my motivation for getting into my own business. Because we used to have these meetings and I'd drive away in my Honda Civic with no air conditioning and no power windows. And they drive away in their Cadillac Escalade fully <laughs> fully uh you know all the options um and i used to think you know if they're doing something i if they're doing something right i should be able to do something right so oh wow well, well, i think that's amazing that you know a lot of people would have just stayed what they're doing and never really changed but you decided to make that switch so i'm curious right e-commerce is super sexy now but back in the days how was it in like 2004 I guess. <laughs> so I'll tell you why that's a great question. I mean, we we actually ran the company out of our basement for four years, mm. basement of our home. And and honestly, it was um, after first year, we started making more money in e-commerce than we did, than I did as a lawyer. Wow. Uh, but the irony is people would ask me, so what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I sold, I sell ties on the internet. <laughs> so the first question was, what do you do full time? <laughs> <laughs> Like, all right, well, sell ties on the internet. Uh, and then they say, well, so would this be eBay? I'm like, no, there's things called websites and we sell oh on a website. So <laughs> it was like people couldn't get used to the idea. Even my father 
uh, who was so proud that I was an attorney was like disappointed that I oh could run, um, <laughs> to run our company full time. And, you know, felt like I was taking a huge step backward. Mm. Um, I, I, I knew that the internet was certainly the future of, of retail. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could have imagined what it really became and how quickly it happened, but um, being one of the early players had its advantages and disadvantages. Advantage being, of course, that we were one of the few players and really, you know, the bigger players, the Macy's and Nordstrom's, as well yeah. as the Joseph A. Banks and the Brooks Brothers, believe it or not, they didn't even have e-commerce early on. And even mm. if they did, it was very limited number of SKUs. So if you're Brooks Brothers and you're like, well, we only want to put on a certain number of products on our website, you can imagine ties was sort of low on their um, priority list. And so if you were shopping for neckwear online, which is a great product, because it's not really something you try on for size and so forth. But if you're selling ties on the internet, you know, I was really up against other schmucks in their basement <laughs> and I was the biggest schmuck. I, I um, So we took over then. Uh, the downside, of course, was that very few people were shopping online. Yeah. So most of the customers we got, we brought from the offline world to the online world. We were covered very frequently by GQ magazine. We got written up by them. Um, Our ties were frequently on models, celebrities, the cover, um, all earned media. So we didn't pay for it. And so we brought the consumer who didn't shop online to online because, of course, there'd be a credit yeah. that the tie worn is found on the tiebar.com. And boom, we had a new customer who wasn't otherwise shopping online and brought them online. So uh, that's how we got business in the early days. You know, now, of course, it's a much different uh, world that we live in. So uh, I want to stick with that world for a quick second. How did you say, because, you know, I've had an e-commerce store in the past. I used to sell socks online, um, but I was doing drop shipping back mm -hmm. around right before 2020. We did really well. And then 2020 came and we tanked, right? Um, because we didn't really have system in place. We didn't have a brand. It was just more like, you know, selling socks from China. Um, but I'm curious, how did you determine, okay, I'm going to start selling Thai online? Like what was, you know, yep. how, did you do any analysis or did you hear something? How did you no. come up with that? Well, I'll tell you, it was a series of, of coincidental events. The night before my wife and I had watched 60 Minutes and they had done a story on a wine brand called Charles Shaw. So mm -hmm. Charles Shaw is also known as Two Buck Chuck and was sold and is still sold in Trader Joe's right now. Back then it was sold for $1.99. That's why it was called Two Buck Chuck, Charles <laughs> Shaw. And uh, the, the story was the the uh, owner of the company had basically taken one of the 60 Minutes reporters around his vineyard and showed why wine isn't, it doesn't cost that much to make mm -hmm. good wine. And that most people couldn't tell the difference between a $2 bottle of wine and a $50 bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. And they had these sommeliers taste test the wine, not knowing, of course, which was which. And they couldn't tell the difference. Wow. So that's the story we'd watched. The very next day, I'm getting ready for work. I'm wearing a tie. My then two-year-old throws milk, splashes <laughs> all over me. And I was like, shit, I got to buy another $50, $60 tie. This is stupid. And I thought to myself, why are ties so expensive? Yeah, mm. sort of true on the story that I had seen on Two Buck Chuck, and uh, did got online, did some research. Now this is 2004, yeah. and I upon a website that we all know today, but very few of us had heard of back then, called Alibaba. 
Yes. Alibaba, of course, put me in touch with a bunch of factories. And I very quickly saw the pricing for silk neckties, which back then, believe it or not, were about $2.10. They're now more, not yeah. a ton more made in China. And I should say my company now, Bow Ties of Vermont, we make our ties in the United States. So it's a much different type of world that we're in. But back then, you know, I so my other company, so we bought, you know, so we, we got a few samples sent to us from factories around the, the country. And we thought, you know what? I don't think you can tell the difference between a two a two dollar and or a, a, a two dollar tie and a yeah. fifty dollar tie. Turns out because all the same factories made them anyway. That's why. And so we ended up deciding on fifteen dollars as our mm -hmm. retail price. Now, by the time the ties landed in the United States, let's say they cost three dollars. Okay, because you got to pay duty and shipping. Yeah. Um, and so our brand was all about selling fifteen dollar ties. That was our brand. Um, we did, I tried some designing myself, didn't work out great. We had a really <laughs> ugly first collection of ties. Um, but we slowly started, I started getting a little better at designing. We started hiring some people to help us design. Mm -hmm. And, uh, within a year we had just sort of caught the attention of different media who looked at our ties and said, you know what, these really do look like $50, $75 ties, but for $15. Now, by the way, this is before the recession. Yeah, really changed the way the consumer looked uh, at, at a lot of things, clothing, apparel, accessories. The consumer used to be fine, sort of overpaying and almost took pride in saying this is a hundred dollar tie. Yeah. The recession really changed the way the consumer looked at things and said, you know what? I now want value for my product. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to pay 50 or $75, I want something in return. I want 50 and $75 a return or more. And so that sort of, so when we were providing $50 value at $15, it was sort of like a, a newer concept, which is why during and right after the recession, we're really our best growth years. Yeah. Because people were looking at brands like us saying, you know, this is why would I, I don't have a ton of money right now. Uh, why am I going to overspend on something like a tie? Yeah. They would buy our $15 ties and it really, it took off. And uh, the company really uh, had an incredible trajectory right up until we sold. Take, which takes me to my next question, right? The exit, right? There is a lot of people that start businesses and never really even think about exiting. So you were able to take that whole entrepreneurial cycle from beginning to end. How, how was that when you sold it for 20 million? What was that process? Because I recently sold my business a few months ago and it was an interesting process, you know? So I'm curious yeah. to hear your thoughts. How did that go? And how did you go about, you know, hey, I want to sell it. Was it already structured for sale? Because a lot of people don't even have their business structure to sell. Yeah. So just to be clear, uh, our revenues were close to 20 million. Um, we didn't awesome. sell it for 20 million. Our, our sale price is still, I, I don't share it with anybody. Okay, don't. Uh, <laughs> but just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, as far as like how you prep it, I mean, the, the reason we sold it was because every year was more incredible than the last. Mm. You don't want to exit your company when it plateaus. You don't want to exit your company on the way down. You want to exit it on the way up. You get a much mm. higher multiple. Um, and so that was that was happening. We were growing at an astronomical rate. We had just entered into a collaboration with Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who is who's an actor on Modern Family and was that was the hottest show at the time. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, uh, we just had entered into a collaboration with Dwayne Wade in the NBA and we were just hitting on all cylinders. So I'm like, this is when you sell. Um, and, and I would say that's one of the few very good decisions I've made in my life. It was, it was indeed Congrats. the right time to sell. 
as far as like getting the company ready for sale, I mean, you just want to keep showing the growth. Mm -hmm. It is a long process. Ours was a 10 month process. And I was told that was a very fast process. Mm -hmm. The size of your company will determine the speed as well. Smaller yeah. companies can go real quick, but we had to hire an investment banker, have a memorandum, private offering memorandum. Um, we went out to the private equity world. It's a real process. Um, we spent literally many days pitching our business to these private equity guys. And it's um, it's a lot of work. So the, the key is, of course, continuing to focus on the operation of your company. It's so easy to get sidetracked with all the work that yeah. goes into selling. But you can't forget you have a company. <laughs> and you need that company to keep succeeding because if you start to go down, now the interest starts yeah. to go down. So you have to keep pushing and pushing. So that's like really the hardest part as far as having clean financials, you know, that's easy. You should have clean financials anyway. Uh, companies like QuickBooks makes that so easy. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, they expect when they go in that things won't look perfect, especially when you're buying from founders, non-institutional types, yeah. you know, they they know what they're getting into. And so, um, it's, you know, it's like, what does it mean to prepare for sale? Uh, make sure your company is like in good working order. Mm -hmm. um, again, like sell your company going this way and not that way. That's the mm. biggest, that's probably the most important thing I during the stage. That's amazing. I love this. And then you took a break, right? And you went back in. So, so <laughs> I yeah. think it's pretty cool that you did that. Now, fast forward, um, the new company you have now, you have it for a few years now, right? Yeah. Um, in 20, so my, my non-compete ended. I put something out on LinkedIn. said, hey, everyone, my non-compete ended. Because I, I was actually forbidden from doing anything in men's retail. Wow. Um, that's what I know. That's what I love. So I really, my hands were tied in every way. I even had uh, an opportunity to join um, a, a denim company. It's fairly well known now. I mean, I couldn't because they sold men's denim. So I had to pass up a lot of opportunities. So then that happened. Um, I got a, a phone call from uh, who was the second owner of this business. Now the Bowties of Vermont at that time was a 26 year old business, mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was, they were struggling a little bit. Um, and, um, but the people were great. I went out to Vermont. I met with the people. Staff is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, they make, we make everything in Vermont. Um, and just such a like loyal staff um, yeah. who really care about the company. Um, really everyone that worked there impressed me. And so um, it, it, at one meeting and I made an offer. And, wow. Uh, yeah. And so uh, three weeks later, that company closed. A good example of how smaller companies can move quick. I went real fast. I was like, I'm like, I don't need to meet anyone again. Here's my <laughs> offer, final offer. I'll close in three weeks. And the owners were like, fine. And they had bought it from the founders uh, seven years prior. They found mm. the founders were another husband and wife team. Um, they did a great job building this little company. I absolutely love it. Um, That's amazing. Uh, he unfortunately died. And so they sold the company. Wow to these newer owners who are, who since sold it to me. So I got a couple of questions in the acquisition stage, right? Um, how did you find it? But how did you do the deal source, right? To find that company. And then uh, what was your process? You know, did you look at the financials before you flew there to check it out and make yeah. the decision? So I'm really curious about that piece. <laughs> so it's so funny you say this because I, again, how I did it was I put something on LinkedIn and, it, and they reached out to me that way. Okay. So that's how I found it. But and I still think that's a great method. Mm -hmm. I happen to be in the middle of sort of building a course at school at, at our university uh, about how to buy a business. And I've actually created a 30 page module on 
how to buy a business. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like submitting it to other universities around the country. So this is right now the world I'm most familiar with, even though I'm yeah. not really necessarily looking to buy another company. So how do you source deals? Great question. I mean, it depends on the size, but let's assume we're talking about, you know, not the biggest, a really small business, small, yeah. medium business. I mean, there are the listing services that a lot of people know of. Biz by sell, yeah. You know, Empire Flippers, Transworld Listings, in, well, Interexo gets a little bigger. Um, website Closures, Quiet Light. There's a great uh, community called Search Funder, which is a whole mm. different conversation. If you don't, if you know what a search fund is, I won't bore you with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you sometimes you just call up accountants and you say, hey, any of your small businesses like looking to sell? Um, you just, you got to put yourself out there. And you got to let people know you're looking. But I do think sourcing deals is actually one of the struggles right now. But you yeah. might want to hire a business broker. I think hiring a business broker, they're free. Just like a real estate broker is free when you're buying the house. Free to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you hire a business broker who can really start helping you looking onto the biz buy sell, which is sort of like the MLS mm -hmm. of businesses. There's a lot of picked over junk there, yes. Again, there's some of the other websites I named are pretty good. Um, but you hire a business broker. And I think one of the great reasons is they'll give you some great perspective on the valuation if it seems right based on mm -hmm. what they've seen. Because a lot of private transactions, you don't ever find out what the past purchase prices are. Well, you hire a business broker with a big uh, with a big database, Transworld, yeah. I think is one of the biggest ones. And they'll have a database of all the transactions they work on. So they'll actually be able to share that information with you for free, right? Uh -huh. I mean, it's the seller's broker that's going to have to do it. So yeah, it can be tough sourcing deals. You really have to work hard on networking, whatever you want to call it, letting the world know that you're looking to buy a business. And those websites uh, have a lot of listings. All the ones I named, between the yeah. six or seven of them, you really can find a lot of businesses for sale. I love it. I love it. So when it came to the acquisition side, did you, you know, use your own money? Did you use, did you finance it? Because you hear a lot of different things out there. Then you do seller financing. How did you structure that deal? I mean, I personally bought it for cash. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, the SBA is always preferred. Yeah. Um, expect a personal guarantee. Smaller banks can can definitely help. Even the bigger banks can. Um, you're, you, I mean, if you're going to buy a profitable business, um, you getting financing is a lot easier than if it's not yeah. profitable. Uh, uh, you know, my our business was uh, not doing so great, so cash was probably my only option. Um, but uh, anyway, so that you know, of course, you could raise money, friends and family, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think when you're talking about smaller businesses, you got to look at you know, we started Tybar with a home equity loan. People forget mm. equity loans are a great idea. You have equity in your home, especially right now. A lot of uh, if you have, if you're if you own a home, um, you know that the equity has likely gone up uh, since you've been there. So you might have some money in there, um, and I believe mortgage interest is deductible on top of it. So you get that oh. benefit. Yeah. Okay. So that's no, usually I'm where I would start if you have a home. It's risky. People are like, "Well, I'm putting my home up." Well, yeah. You want to be a business owner? You better get ready for some risk. And if you're not ready for it. Don't own a business. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So now, currently, right, uh, where are you with that business? Um, and you mentioned you're also teaching entrepreneurship, which I think is pretty awesome. I Thank used you. to teach at uh, Baruch College um, oh. back in the days uh, <laughs> when I lived in New York, New Jersey, but now I'm in Atlanta. So I'm curious, 
what's next for you right now? What's next with what you got going on? Um, I mean, Bowties Vermont ha- is doing great right now. Um, we really turned it around. My staff was incredibly helpful. Um, we we got through COVID selling masks. Um, oh wow! And we've we've expanded the accessories that we make, um, including women's, and we've really like built out the company um, to a place where I'm really pleased with it right now. I would say that uh, on a personal level, I love teaching. Probably my favorite mm. job I've ever had. Um, so I'm continuing to get more involved with FAU. Uh, by the way, we went to the final four this year. If you're, if you didn't pick up okay. that, <laughs> uh, we look good this year. We are going to be ranked to preseason top 20 guaranteed starting fives all coming back anyway. Uh, so I really love FAU. I love teaching there. I think I'm getting a little bit more involved. I get um, involved in the entrepreneurship school, like mm-hmm. some things I can't necessarily share right just yet, but um, I've been uh, um, being a mentor to some of the students and entrepreneurs there, um, been a judge to some of our business plan competitions. Nice. I'm helping put together this this thing for buying a business. We're still not sure if it's going to be a class. We're, we have yeah. to figure out what it is, but I just spent a ton of time <laughs> developing like how to buy a business, which I think is, so people are calling it entrepreneurship through acquisition. I think I like ETA that. is um, is really like the, I shouldn't say the next big thing, but I would just say it's it's a current thing yeah. that shouldn't be ignored. The idea of buying a business rather than starting one looks a lot better these days. It is. I mean, for a list of reasons, <laughs> starting with the fact that it's a lot less money. Mm-hmm. And you're, buying less revenue, risky. <laughs> you're buying revenue on day one. Exactly. Customers on day one. Do you know how hard it is to get a, your first customers? It's not easy. So when yeah. you're buying an existing business and you got a book of customers, it's it's a great start. Uh, and there's a lot of people looking to get out. So um, I'm really pushing that more than startups. But yeah. of course, startups is, are still important and they have their place and depends on what you're really looking to do. Sometimes you have to start up because there is no existing business that is either for sale or does what you want to do. I love it. So to wrap things up, um, any business owners, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. What is that one small biz tips you would share with them to really kind of help them, you know, go, let's say they're, they're not even doing a million a year yet, but they're like, they're, they're in that six figure mark. They're like, okay, I want to get to the million or, you know, what would like that one tip you would share that could potentially help them? Well, they probably already do this, but I I do think you should have your nose in everything. I don't think you, like, of course you need to delegate but you need to watch everything. I still, to this day, and I did it every moment at my other companies, I look at every customer service email that comes in. Mm. I look at every chat that's happened. I go through my financials. I don't handle customer service. I don't ha- yeah. handle my, my accounting, but I look at everything really closely. I'm, I I'm make sure that my marketing, my branding, and my products yeah. are all talking to each other because yeah. you need to know um, from a marketing standpoint, what's in the pipeline for products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and, and, and it, the reverse is true. Like you, when you're designing, you need to start thinking about what you're going to be marketing in the spring and the fall um, for, for this holiday weekend or this site-wide sale. You need to really understand what one hand's doing uh, as well as the other. Um, you know, so that's like one piece of advice. I think people get lost and they, they, they really pat themselves on the back for delegating and that's great, but be, you need to have your nose in everything. Doesn't mean you micromanage, but you need to know what, what everyone's doing and you need to make sure that everyone's talking. 
So that's sort of like one big thing. I mean, I don't know any other advice I'd give someone in the six figures, um, you know, experiment with everything. I mean, just gotcha. keep finding different things. Not everything hits a lot of things miss. Um, but sometimes when you get a small win, you can turn it into a, a medium sized win and then turn that into a big win. But if you don't keep trying new things, you're really yeah. never going to grow. Cause if you just keep doing the same thing, you're going to be stuck in the same spot over and over. So you really have to experiment, but no, you got to be decisive on saying, okay, we're going to try this. You have to be decisive in saying it's not working. We got to end. Gotcha. Wow. This was amazing. Great. How do people get in touch with you, man? If they want to learn more from you or just connect with you, what's the best way? So if you're trying to like sell me something, please don't get in touch with me. My LinkedIn <laughs> is filled with spam as it is. Oh my God. <laughs> but <if you laughs> like get in touch. I'm I'm totally cool with that. Um, I use, I like LinkedIn. It's a little bit of my Rolodex. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm on there frequently enough where I wouldn't miss a message. And I'm happy to talk to people. I'm I'm 50 now. I'm not competing with anybody anymore. So <laughs> I'm happy to like I'm as transparent as it gets. I'm happy to share anything, any secrets, any like whatever. I don't really give a shit anymore. So <laughs> I think like I do have a decent amount of knowledge that I can share. I definitely don't know everything, and I'll be the first to tell you if I can't help you with something. I love it, guys. Check out Greg. He's awesome, as you can see, full of amazing gems. Thank you for jumping on today, and we'll Thanks. see you guys next time.